0: Sport Calgary is the voice of over 275 sports organizations in our area. Share your voice and become a Sport Calgary member for free at sportcalgary.ca slash members. Hey, 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 it's your podcasting pal, your podcasting buddy, your podcasting friend. Uh, how are you, kids? Uh, welcome to the original Six Feet Conversation podcast for Fort Calgary. i um, really excited you could join us for this one. If you are subscribing, uh, great. If you haven't, head on over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and subscribe today, and these will get delivered to you when they drop three times a week. Uh, we're a little more uh, frequent earlier on, but uh, things are starting to open up. And again, this podcast, uh, the original intent of it was uh, during this pause, during this pandemic, to give you something to diversion, uh, you know, something um, that's Calgary-based, about Calgarians, about sports in Calgary, the history of sports Calgary, and some great sports stories. And, and we're going to check all of those boxes today, as a matter of fact. a um, r- uh, Full disclosure, uh, the guest is a friend of mine, not... Um, Somebody that I think one would originally, let's put it this way. I was really excited when we connected, more excited when he said yes. I've known him for a long time. I am a big fan of his work. I, I know for a fact of all of the guests that we've had on this podcast, his work is probably the most widely recognized and viewed for sure. Um, Why is that? Because he's a photographer and he's the best photographer that I know. Jim Wells from Post Media, Calgary Sun, uh, Calgary Herald, has been chronicling media news, I should say, in the media and sports in the media since 1988. Um, He's worked both sides of the uh, both sides of the lens. He was started off as a reporter Um, But I think he's one of the truly great, uh, awesome photographers. Um, He works a lot. He's working in this pandemic. We're going to talk about, you know, life in the pandemic as a photographer. But we're also going to talk about the the sports through his lens, if you will. Uh, Really enjoyed this conversation. Jim really enjoyed this conversation. We had a lot of fun. And I can't wait to share it with you. Uh, Just a reminder... Calgary is home to world class multi sport facilities. Find the facility closest to you at sportcalgary.ca. Let's spend a little time with Jim Wells from Post Media. You would be the second active media person that I've had on in this conversation, but probably the one that's seen the most so far. How have the last two and a half months professionally been for you?
1: Professionally, um, the way I work, it hasn't changed a whole lot. It really hasn't, eh? Then obviously we're not covering sports and some things in person, but uh, most of the time we're, for the newspaper, we're working remotely on our laptops, out of our cars, out of coffee shops, uh, wherever we can find Wi-Fi or use our phones to set up, so... Um, Obviously, we have to be very aware of the safety issues, masks, gloves, disinfectant, uh, make sure everybody's comfortable with what we're photographing. But in terms of how we cover things and how we get pictures back to the newspaper, it hasn't really changed all that much.
0: So working remotely is old school for you.
1: Uh, Sorry, one more time. I missed that. I was going to
0: say, working remotely is old school for you. Like we're all, all of us are trying to figure out how to do this, right? How to live our lives remotely and work remotely. But that's what
1: you do. Absolutely, it's uh, it is old school. You know, Um, as you know, we work at the Saddle Dome. We work where we have an internet connection, or, or flames, or anything you can imagine.
0: So what's what have from your vantage point out there, what have you, what are you seeing? I mean, it's, it sounds like a movie or whatever. The the streets are quiet and all of that, but you know, you've done this for a long time. I mean, just doing what you do, what's it been like out there with less traffic? What do you, what do you see more now than maybe you didn't see before?
1: Right. So I, I'm coming up to my 31 year anniversary of working uh, for our company which is called Post media. yeah uh, Probably the biggest thing I noticed and it was quite enjoyable actually um, was the lack of traffic <laughs> and the ability to navigate Calgary quickly efficiently and just going from A to B in a short period of time. And just in the last couple of weeks I've actually noticed noticed rush hour kicking in again. You know, around 3 o'clock, 3.30, roads are filling up. I'm not sure you noticed, but there are certain routes where, yeah, wow, there's people on the streets. There's people going shopping. There's people maybe good. they're going to work. I don't know. But, yeah, things are coming back slowly.
0: It's kind of funny. I I live down in Evergreen, so for the last two and a half months, I haven't turned north on McLeod. I only, I've only gone south on McLeod. I haven't gone north. So can you confirm for me that downtown still exists? The northwest still exists? Like, you're right. Like, I, I would have no idea that, that that's coming back.
1: Absolutely. Calgary still exists. Uh, <laughs> everything is still there. Um, the only thing that's, as well as rush hour, is uh, it's the usual construction season. And <laughs> it's uh, fouling up my roots and uh, making maybe- <laughs> a little bit slower <laughs> um again just from that observer
0: standpoint uh you you unfortunately part of your job is to go and, and chronicle first responders and, and the work that they have to do um is yeah. that i mean we've talked to some first responders and i know that their procedures have changed but just as somebody who goes and and, and does report on this or watch this or or you know see it happen have you noticed how that's changed
1: Well, obviously, it's the obvious signs of um, what the first responders are having to wear to ensure their own protection. You see paramedics, firemen, policemen, obviously all of them, you know, they're wearing full PPE, face masks, gloves, plastic shields, you know, um, and they're there and they have to do their job and they're there to keep us safe and protect us and they have to protect themselves and their families and everybody that they're coming into contact every day. And I really feel for them. You know, we're lucky enough that sometimes most of the time we see things from a distance from the end of a camera and we have to record that.
0: For you, uh, what do you do to, to stay safe? I mean, again, you've already talked about the fact that you're used to kind of working away from an office setting, but are are you, you know, are you wearing a mask? Are you acutely aware of people who are, you know, within your social distance bubble?
1: Absolutely. Um, I've been really fortunate. Our company has been able to provide us with uh, whatever protection we require. And if we feel that we need something else, we will send off an email and I'll go through the process. So, What I have in my car are basically three different levels of masks. I have the basic surgical mask. I have an N95 mask, and I have the big 3M, you know, heavy-duty one as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I have uh, disposable gloves. I have a whole bunch of hand sanitizer in my car that I'm constantly spraying. And on a daily basis, depending on what I'm doing, um, you know, obviously – my car is my own little bubble. Yep. So I feel pretty sick there. But if I'm venturing out uh, into public, I'll carry gloves with me. I'll have a mask, uh, you know, just hanging on my neck. And if I worry, if I think I might be within that social distance or I might encounter somebody that I just don't know where they've been and what they've been up to, I'll put that mask on. And I think I think it, we're coming to the, the time or we've come to the time where people expect that and they're not. So they don't feel it's mysterious anymore. Right.
0: Yeah. Do do you, listen, and and just thinking about it now, like for me, I'm kind of waiting for the, whatever the return of normal is, right? Like I need, I need people to be able to congregate in that type of thing. So I'm kind of looking at the other end of it. Is there another end for you, Jim? Do you, do you, are you waiting for, I mean, obviously the business or the, what you report on will likely change a little bit once you know, society kind of gets back to normal, as it were. But are you still going to have the masks and the stuff in the vehicle? Or is that something you're waiting to get rid of? Or is that just part of the new reality for you?
1: No, I, I definitely think for the long term, year, maybe two, it might definitely be hmm. a new, you know, uh, you know what it's like to go through the Saddle Dome on a crowded game night where people are slamming into it. You're on the concourse or you're at McMahon Stadium or anywhere a mall and i think you just got to be careful and be safe but i also think and i've mentioned this before that you know you have to have a little bit of start having a little bit of faith in humanity that over the course of time here people have got a little bit of common sense and they've taken some precautions but you can't always rely on everybody else are you seeing common sense I've seen bits and pieces of it. I've seen people on weekends strolling down Memorial drive and I go, uh, yeah, I don't think you should be doing that. Or, you know, I've seen people walking down the middle of the road just to avoid other people or cycling down the middle of the road just to stay off the bike path. And so I, yeah, but I think people of Calgary, especially, we really like enjoying, our outdoor weather when we get it because as you we all know that it could snow any day or like a day like today yeah it's coming down in buckets (laughs) so we get the chance we like to be outside
0: jim i do want to get into some sports stuff with you here but just a little bit more on the news side how do you how do you compare your work load the the way you do your business in this situation as opposed to a, a disaster, the flood, a forest fire, or some, you know, kind of big breaking news that happens for 24, 48 hours, but eventually goes away?
1: I think like anything, you, you know, our number one concern and is not only, it's for my own safety. Not anything is worth risking my life to get, you know, the picture of picture of the year or whatever, but, you know, we're always pushing that envelope just a little bit. Um, I, You know, floods, the flood was certainly an incredible time. And, you know, I've covered the flood, I've covered blizzards, I've covered snowstorms, everything. Yeah. This one is, I think, I think there's a very large psychological effect. There's always going to be that thing in the back of your head, maybe, that, gee, I don't know where, I hope that person's across from me or the table sitting next to me or somebody at Safeway or SportCheck or wherever you go. I don't know whether that person's healthy. So I think it's going to put people on edge a little bit for quite some time. How about you, though? I mean,
0: again, I have the luxury of sitting here in my house waiting for this to end. I can tune into the news. I can look at what you've done and, and, you know, follow you in that. But I can also turn it off. Jim, you don't have that luxury. How do you, how do you process this? What do you do to kind of decompress and 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 not let this get to you having to chronicle it day after day after day?
1: Well, in the past, before I'm going to say, before COVID, BC, <laughs> uh, I took um, great pleasure in in enjoying my uh, going to watch my son practice uh, soccer. Um, he plays for one of the bigger clubs here, so getting together with other parents and talking about soccer and kids and life and whatever. But obviously that's on hold for now. What I do now is, you know, I'll come home. Um, and instead, you know, instead of going to soccer practice, I'll, I've actually started listening to more podcasts, your show included. Um, because yeah, you cover it day to day and it kind of gets to you. And the last thing you really want to do in my opinion is listen to more of it on tv or the radio when you get home yeah so you need that little bit of mental break sure i watch the news sure i keep updated on twitter but it's i think you do have to turn it off otherwise it may get to you
0: it's a little nefarious isn't it it's a it's this one would be a bit of a grind i would say you know say what you say you see some horrible things you had to cover some horrible things but they kind of end where this one well maybe not visibly as horrible just it just doesn't seem to go away
1: is that fair yeah that's totally fair it's going to be here for a long time yeah or really who knows uh you know i was just talking the other day about SARS everybody thought it was going to be here for a long time and then all of a sudden it just kind of poof it it went away yeah yeah nobody really apparently nobody really knows about this one there's lots of people that telling us that they know the best but who really does
0: how did you get here, Jim? I mean, were you into, th- into photography, yeah. into, into, news, into news photography? How did you get get to that or get to it?
1: Sure. Uh, well, I'm a Calgary boy. Grew up in the Northwest. I could literally hear Stamps games coming from McMahon Stadium <laughs> from my mom's house uh, up near, uh, not too far from Sait in the old Highlander Hotel. Oh, that yeah, yeah, yeah. Though.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: And, uh, you know, once I went to high school, I played high school football and of course up at Aberhart and, uh, you know, I took a year off after high school and uh, myself and a buddy enrolled at State. We wanted to be sports writers. We wanted to cover the flames. You know, it it was, uh, 1984, 1985 or so. And, uh, you know, the flames were in their glory leading up to 89. And, you know, we wanted to cover that and go to school and, rock and roll and do all that stuff. And then, you know, about a month before we were set to start, um, he dropped out to work in his dad's oil patch business. And uh, I carried on and I went to state, and I actually took their course. I did it in three years instead of two. So I've got all my writing and all the photography that was available to me. And, you know, uh, a good friend of mine who's my boss right now, I went to high school. I uh, was working at the Sun, and uh, he knew what I was doing, and he had me doing some stuff on the weekends. And, you know, when the, the Flames were playing hockey, they had stuff that needed to be covered, so I was doing the the grunt stuff. Yeah. You know, stuff that nobody, nobody wants to do. Everybody wanted to cover the Flames and stamps and stuff. So, yeah, stuff has to be done. So I was doing that, and here we are.
0: So were you writing, too, or just, you know... Cause you if you went to say you became a writer you became a photographer but did you have to when did you have to pick one
1: right that came about uh i remember i was i was actually a, uh, a writing for the calgary herald as a summer student in the summer of 1988 oh wow yeah way back then and of course i got a couple stories about that but um i was because i was covering the minor sports and stuff it was really tough to get a photographer to an assignment you know sometimes so I had some training at State and I was shooting some of my own pictures, you know, mm-hmm. and one day going back to the office, I came upon a massive accident, uh, Deerfoot Memorial, of course, and I shot some photos and I remember distinctly, um, and I know the photographer's name, he came up to me at the scene and he said, reporters don't shoot photos. <laughs> and I went, well, you know, maybe, maybe there's something to this. You know, maybe, maybe writing isn't my love. Maybe, you know, telling it, telling stories in a different way, um, through a, through a camera, maybe that's my love. And I just sort of focused on that and, uh, just kind of fell into it. And, uh, yeah, here I am. Do, do you miss the writing? Yes and no. Um, I think it's definitely something just like photography. It's an art. Mm-hmm. You craft and if you're not if you're not doing it regularly you kind of get rusty you know i'm sure it's like broadcasting too if you're not at a game you're not on the radio you're not doing your stuff regularly you kind of lose that touch um i do i still read a a heck of a lot of you know obviously news stories and magazine stories but yeah i don't go anywhere without a camera these days (laughs) so
0: that i want to know about because and I'm not blowing smoke I you know what I think of your work I think you're the best and 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 I always I know for whatever reason I know when you've shot a picture why is that what what is like that's the art part right and art science is easy we can do that with numbers and we can do that with formulas art is such an interesting thing so let's just tell me about that were you always was photography easy for you
1: um it was a grind. You know what? I'll, I'll reflect back a little bit on doing a, a second year or third year photography assignment. And, um, and I'm still friends with my instructor and he graded me and I think he gave me a C and one of his comments was, uh, you might want to think about doing something else. (laughs) That was, that was just my little kick in the butt, you know, just everybody needs one of those every once in a while. Yeah. Um, I think, I think the whole, Journalism thing in general became really easy for me. My mom was a, a junior high English teacher. Okay. Uh, so, you know, uh, writing and creativity and was always part of our family, you know, um, and I had never picked up a camera before I went to SAIT. So I, I literally learned from ground zero. And it just,
0: yeah. Oh, that's surprising me. So you you didn't have the old thirty five millimeter? You weren't taking slides or screwing around with an eight millimeter f- f- film camera or anything like that as a kid?
1: Nope, I was uh, totally raw going into state. Obviously, I I took a, a couple snaps with my mom's camera sure. on summer holiday, yeah. yeah, just like everybody does. But you know, goofy stuff. But no, I started off at state, bought my first camera a week or so before. Before we started, in wherever September, and uh, I was off and rolling.
0: There are probably a handful of people that will listen to this podcast that will scream if I don't ask this question. What was the first camera?
1: It was a Minolta X seven hundred. Okay,
0: you don't still have
1: it, do you? No, it uh, it passed away. <laughs> <laughs> it's you know what it, it wasn't a professional level camera so it, you know it didn't really put up to the day-to-day grind it wasn't like the gear we have now yeah or even a few years ago yeah. that weren't made you know everything was plastic it didn't get banged around it just wasn't built for every day banging around it in the car or whatever
0: all right so i mentioned the people that would want to know that now there's a bunch of people listening to this podcast that i think you and i are going to blow their minds tell sure. me about learning to develop film was that easy
1: yeah, that was sure fun, and you know that's something that uh, my son and I have both experienced. I took him a couple of years ago. I, I had a buddy of mine who teaches at State, he gave us access to the black and white lab, and it, there's, I don't know whether it's easy or, but it there's just something, you know, kind of mind blowing. Especially now you've been shooting digital pictures for so long, yeah, and you're you're learning the process, and you pull this out, and you know there's this four foot long strip of you know plastic with images on it negative images on it and somehow you have to you know make a print in a dark room it's it's kind of like a it's almost like another world experience I guess um it seeing something that you've created and you've tried to get your exposure properly and it's it's really neat um if if anybody if you can think of trying it I I highly recommend it if it's kind of neat to be in a dark room and the smell of the chemistry and the, you know, yeah, the yellow light or the red light. It's kind of cool.
0: So, but, but would third year Jim Wells have felt that way at the time, or was that something you over time and especially now, because it's, it's such an art form compared to point and click. Do you appreciate it more or did you always appreciate it?
1: No, I think I always appreciated it. Um, I was always in the darkroom early, early in the morning. I remember, you know, my third year at State when I went back to complete all the photography courses. You know, I was one of the students who quietly was slipped a key to the darkroom, <laughs> like get in there in the morning or work late to make prints. To, you know, those days we were at times we were shooting slide film and making color prints from slide, and and then gradually negatives, color negatives, and, you know. Uh, we would stay all to all hours of the morning, you know, and just, yeah, we were just trusted with it. So here's a
0: weird question from a guy who's never developed film and, but admires a photographer. I watch you work now and I'll every once in a while, I'll see you look down at the screen and, and mm-hmm. I, my assumption is you're just checking to see what you've got yep. in the old with film. Did you what was your mindset? Were, were you hoping? Were you guessing? Were you, you know, on the drive back to a dark room or whatever, you're going, geez, I, I think that third or fourth shot. What was the, were you, I don't know how to describe it, Jim. It seems to me you might be a little bit nervous, anxious, or was it a different experience not knowing until you developed?
1: Oh, absolutely. You're totally nervous, you know, especially if you're covering a big game. Yeah. Uh, you're covering a Stamps or a Flames game and you're shooting film and, and, Literally, you do not know if you've got that photo until that film comes out of the processor eleven minutes later. And you put it on the light table, and you got a little glass loop, and you're looking for that one or two or three frames that you may have shot. Um, You know, there was also that that sense of excitement. You know, and it's still there, but not knowing until you get look at that image with the little light loop on the light table, uh, you know, you're kind of holding your breath a little and yeah, your palms are a little sweaty and you <laughs> the boss standing behind you going, okay, do you got it? Okay. We need that front page photo. Is it on it? You know? Yeah. And now, you know, virtually instantaneous, whether you have what you need.
0: Do you have a, I said before that I, I feel like I can look at a picture in the, in, you know, on the sun, the Herald or, or whatever and go, oh, no, that's, I know that's Jimmy. Do you have a style, Jim?
1: I, I think so, but trying to put a label on it, it's a little tough. Sure. Um, what I, and I, I, I've mentioned this to students, what I try to do, whatever I'm shooting, whether it's, you know, a portrait of a person or a hockey game or a soccer game or anything, is I, I try to create some kind of emotion, whether it's somebody going... Ooh, that would have hurt, or wow, that's a great play, or wow, I really, really feel sad for that person, or hopefully, wow, that's a really funny picture, you know, that made me laugh today. I love it when people laugh at photos, you know. (laughs) Um, Sometimes those are the toughest to take, right? Because you have to think a lot, you have to use the mind process. Okay, what's somebody gonna laugh about? What makes this situation different? You know, like I shot one yesterday. I stood there in the rain for an hour with a you know a TV cameraman, waiting for this duck in this park that was overflowing to swing by swim by this garbage can, and uh, you know only only my type of person would sit there in the rain with an umbrella with a you know a ten thousand dollar camera and lens waiting for this picture to happen.
0: But it's that's the patience, though, right? But that's to me, that's what defines the good ones, because it's the same. You, you could s- talk all you want about it being a picture, but it's the same thing with a good story, too. And, and you've seen them come and you've seen them go. But there's guys that will wait out an athlete or wait till the end of a scrum or wait, 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 wait to get what they need. That, to me, is the definition of, you know, what makes somebody great as opposed to average.
1: Well, thanks for calling me great, but or implying <laughs> implying, But, yeah, it's patience. It's 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 knowing what. You know, and a little bit research and knowing what you're looking for, mm-hmm. you know, uh, or what you need, what quote you need to tell the proper story. Yeah, uh, Yeah. patience, sometimes it's a little bit of persistence or sometimes it's a little bit of boredom, you're saying, you know, um, maybe I'm downplaying what I do, but um, maybe I've just been doing it for so long, I just kind of go.
0: Well, yeah, it's
1: what I do, you
0: know? Yeah. I, no, no, there's, there's, there's definitely an aspect of that. You know, for sure, it's what we do. It, you know, why do you have success? Why do I have success? Whatever. We do the, th- it's the little things that make it up. But yeah. for, for you to tell us a story about waiting an hour for a duck to float by a garbage can in a flooded pond, that yeah. to me is the example of there's lots of people that will go out and take a picture of the duck and go, Good, I got it. But there's not a lot of people who will sit in the rain waiting, knowing that this could happen. If it happens, it would be good. And it was good. Right. That, that's, that to me is the school. That's the lesson for kids in all of this. Patience
1: and, you know, and putting the elements together, whether you're, you know, whether you're telling a story in video or a radio broadcast using your words or, you know, writing, writing a great story for a newspaper or a magazine. Right. Um,
0: one of the most unique places, I think, in society is a newsroom, and I think the reason why there's been so many movies and TV shows that revolve around them is because they're they are they're chaotic, they're crazy, they're full of egos, they're full of strife, there's, there's, there's content there. One of the things in a newsroom that always drove me nuts was the boss that came in and goes, I want you to do this, somebody else is doing this, so let's do this. I know that broadcasters get that writers get that do photographers get that jim does 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 somebody a non-photographer come in and go geez jim the new york times did this i want you to start doing
1: this well i guess i mean it it, a lot of the times it comes down to the resources we have available you know the time places like that obviously have bigger budgets more staff but Sure. We have great minds that work at our newspapers hmm. and maybe then we may not be doing exactly what the Times or Miami Herald right. or the are El- doing, but there's a concept there and we got to put things into Calgary's perspective. So, you know, we're doing things for our audience here in Calgary. Um, I'm pretty lucky where we will generally get some direction, but we're not told exactly how to do it. So we have a pretty much an open slate as long as we, you know, put the concept. we have it down on in digital format, you know, at the end of the day. Um,
0: so how many times are you presenting photos and the photo that you think should be used doesn't get used?
1: Sometimes every day. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously sometimes I think sure. the, the photo that I, that I shoot should be on the front page every day. Yeah. Uh, and you know what we do at the paper the most important thing every day is the picture that goes on the front page and um, it's what the people see first thing along with the headline and you know along a lot of times with with the main story but um sometimes it's just not the luck of the draw sometimes you're doing one assignment and something else happens and somebody else gets the great assignment or a big news event or, you know, it's not your shift and you're working the morning shift and there's a hockey game that night. Mm -hmm. So you just got to deal with it.
0: Uh, He is uh, Jim Wells, our guest uh, here on the original Six Feet Conversation podcast from Post Media. By the way, Sport Calgary members have access to resources such as marketing on social media, blog entries, features, and placement on the events listing. Become a member. It's easy and free. Visit www.sportscalgary.ca slash members. My guess is in the back of your head when you agreed to do this, you knew at some point I was going to open up this Pandora's box. So let me open up this Pandora's box. Jim, you've been doing this for 31 years. How has technology changed?
1: I think it's made our, in some ways, obviously made our life way, way more easier
0: Mm -hmm.
1: in terms of not having to race back to the paper and develop prints and develop film and make prints and rush them into the newsroom. Um, But also it's made our life a little bit more difficult because they're expecting that picture on their, on their desktop, the editors sometimes within minutes after you shoot it. And you know what, some, for whatever reason, sometimes you can't get it there. You know, maybe your cell phone died, maybe you're stuck in traffic, you know? Um, So, I mean, you're over the course of the day, you're constantly, you know, sending photos back, whether you pull off onto the side of the road or a side street. And so it's, clogged up our our process a little bit during the middle of the day but it hasn't you know you're away from the dark room and you know i kind of miss that social point in the dark room it's <laughs> photographers would hang out and give each other a hard time you you know what it's all about in the newsroom.
0: yeah right? yeah no i i i'm laughing because i know exactly what you're talking about and i know how much fun that would have been for a bunch of
1: guys or gals right totally absolutely you know i've worked with. Uh, You know, a lot of people over the years, you know, a lot of great people have come and gone, whether they're they've retired or moved on to other things or. And that's the great thing. We were just discussing this earlier this morning about, you know, whether you worked at the Sun or the Herald or you were, you know, you worked on TV. It's almost like you're a little family. Mm -hmm. Get caught up at, you know, you take the time after or before your events when you're waiting around you get caught up on life. How are the kids? How's the wife? What are your kids doing? Oh, you're playing baseball. Oh, you know. If, if anybody gets a chance, probably the best way that I could give somebody uh, an instant condensed version of what a newsroom is like is watch the movie called The Paper. Yeah. yeah. Uh, with, uh, I think it's Glenn Close and Michael Keaton. Yeah. It's got, I think it's got probably any, every element of a newsroom in there. I think uh, they've nailed it down pretty well obviously things have been toned down a bit. You can't smoke in the newsroom or have open whiskey anymore, but um, you shouldn't, <laughs> no, you shouldn't definitely not. Uh, but uh, I, I think that, I think that movie nails, it, nails it down perfectly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Ha what now there's all these numbers out there and, and you probably know them better than I, but you know, the advent, when we moved away from film and we went to digital that, you know, we've taken a bazillion more pictures than we ever have before. Is, is that crowded your world? The fact that there's so much quote unquote content shared on social media and, you know, everybody's, everybody's taking a picture or something. Is that, how has that impacted you?
1: Um, while I'm working, obviously I'm, I'm fighting a little bit more people that are in front of me with an iPhone. Yeah. Um, probably, you know, or, you know, you're kind of going elbow to elbow with, um, Joe Smith, who, who's standing next to you at a scene or covering an event and he needs a picture for his Instagram account. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. And then I shoot lots of pictures for my Instagram account and it's great, but, uh, sorry, I need to be in the front row and I need to get that picture that is going to run in the paper potentially the next day. So I apologize if I'm rude sometimes, but Sometimes you got to sharpen the elbows a little bit.
0: Th- that and is it, is it harder to get unique now?
1: I think so. It is because literally within seconds, people's photos are on Twitter, they're on social media, they're on Snapchat, they're on whatever. So you're kind of looking for that. In many ways, something that little different, something that's going to make your photo stand out and going to hold the reader's attention and hold the bosses are going to like for that, you know, 24 hour news cycle. Yeah. I, I can almost guarantee that if I'm shooting something significant, they may see something on Twitter before my picture reaches the office. So I guess it's using your brain, it's research. You're using a different angle, using a different lens, you know, modifying the light somehow with the flash, trying to make a portrait out of, you know, make, just making it look interesting and something that's visual.
0: One of we talked about you as a writer, but what we haven't talked about in newsroom, but tell me about the relationship that you've had with writers over the years. And you you've worked with all of them, the, the the legendary ones, the young ones, the new ones, the ones that were here f- for a short period of time, ones that quickly became editors, etc., etcetera. Et cetera. What's that relationship like or, or what should that relationship be like between a photographer and a writer?
1: Well, a lot of times um, you know, if we're covering a big event, we'll we'll chat. Say before a Flames game. You know, I'll, I'll talk to Wes Gilbertson or Kristen Anderson or Danny Austin or Todd Sehoffer from our paper. And say, hey, what uh, what are you working on tonight? Are you doing a feature on somebody. What should I look for? You know, and those guys are so well researched. Um, they'll know that Mark Giordano is playing his 500th game. You know, and or or so-and-so is playing for the first time. He's a rookie and his parents are here from, you know, Kelowna, BC, for example, just, you know, and if he scores a goal or gets on the ice, he's going to go nuts. So it's a collaboration. It's a team. You're, you know, uh, that's the way I like to see it some ways. And some reporters are different. Some have very little collaboration. Um, But I think it's my job anyways, To go out and try and talk to our writers and know what's going on instead of going in with a blank slate to be knowledgeable about knowledgeable about your job and what you're covering um you know i try and read i get to the stadium or somewhere two three hours before a game and i'm reading stories so i'm up to date on what we're covering i'm not just sitting in a room you know looking at facebook a lot of the time i'm reading stories i'm reading the notes that the the flames and the stamps and the cavalry people put in front of me. Yeah. So I know what's going on.
0: We talked a little bit about news. I want to kind of now veer off into sports for you. And I'm not talking about the people or the, the, the sport itself, but which is the the best sport in Calgary to cover? Where, where do you get the, where, where's your work shine the most?
1: Well, lately I've, um, uh, and it's because of my son who's here with me, I've got a deep appreciation for the game of soccer, football. Yep. Yep. So obviously I, I'm a huge cavalry fan and um, I think I missed one, one home game last year. Um, and I think it's, you know, having a love and appreciating for the art of the sport, mm-hmm. because I can going from a grassroots kid to what, you know, the cavalry boys are doing on the pitch what the hard work it takes, you know, and I also love um, shooting stamps. Um, You're not just stuck in one spot. You're wandering up and down the sidelines, you know, literally you're, the guys are, if you've ever been on a sideline, the players are right in your face and it's, you can feel the energy, uh, you know, even at the national anthem, you can still feel it. And it's, you've got a front row seat to, whatever's happening in the world that day, whether it's the Cavalry or Stamps or a Flames game. Um, where I shine, I have favorites, favorite sports that I like to cover, but I would say uh, CFL and um, the Soccer League, CPL. Those, Those are, are outdoor
0: favorite. too, Jim. Is that is, is that coincidental? Is it, is it seems to me just through this conversation that, Elements would add to you know the the weather elements could add to the shot too. So is that coincidental or the fact that both of those are outdoors?
1: I think it's just coincidental. You know some some of the some of the toughest days I've ever had are are shooting in you know minus thirty shooting grey cup. Uh, yeah, or you know even just the opening game of the cavalry. You know I remember that freak <laughs> snow we had, and I watched the replay the other night, and I was going. I was mentioning to my son, I said, wasn't it snowing that day? He's like, yeah, just wait, just wait. And then sure enough, five <laughs> minutes later, whoosh, typical snowstorm rolls in and oh yeah, the snow. But it adds, you know, it's all about, it's the magic of the, the, the moment, you know, especially that day, it was their first home game and, you know, shooting in the rain and um, the coldest day I've ever spent working was, or the coldest week I spent working was in Great Cup a uh, few, many years ago can't remember what it was 92 maybe and it was literally minus 30 yeah it was just brutal and all i all i took was like winter clothes and game time it was game time it went up to minus five so here i am tromping around the sidelines in winnipeg shooting great cup the stamps in the great cup and i've got these big white moon boots on <laughs> laughing at me and i'm like Dude, it's Winnipeg in, in the winter. I've only brought close for minus thirty.
0: <laughs> you know, we we could bounce and probably will bounce around. But you brought up you brought up the cavalry, and I do know because I follow you on social media. I know you're a, a, a big football guy, and I know you're a big pre, you know you have an appreciation for that team. But you also have a, an interesting perspective, I think, too, because how many of the different incarnations of pro soccer did you photo- uh, take photos of?
1: Well, obviously the PDL before, before Cal and, um, a little bit of amateur stuff previously, but I actually remember many years ago when I was much younger than I am now watching indoor soccer at the corral. I think there, I think I, I I don't, can't remember his name, but I think he was German and his, his nickname was Boomer or something or a Thunderfoot or something like that. So I remember watching that and I remember watching an an outdoor game at McMahon many years ago. And it's, so I've seen it, I've seen it come in Calgary and kind of build up and Tommy and I have had a few conversations about, you know, about uh, how things have come along in Calgary. Um, It's, it's interesting. It's, it's great. And I'm really looking, hopefully I'm still working in 2026 when the world cup comes to Canada.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, when I had Tommy on, I mentioned he needs to write a book and it needs to be called The Long Game. You should take the pictures for it, obviously. But, I mean, even as an observer and as a watcher of sport in Calgary, one of the best – you talked about patience in your job, but I don't think I've seen anybody show patience like Tommy. Tommy knew – with that PDL team, he knew where he was going. A lot of things had to fall in place. But for a city that had kind of had all these upstarts and and false starts and everything like that – it's been one of the great sports stories over the last four or five years.
1: Oh, totally. I Absolutely. You know, not taking away anything from the Flames, who uh, I think it was yesterday, their, yeah. you know, 40th anniversary or something of coming from Atlanta. That That's an amazing sports story itself, how it survived and made, you know, the different and the stamps, too. But, you know, I, I shared a little moment with Tommy before their championship game. You know, it's right after the the national anthem and the fans are going nuts. And we turned to each other, we shared a smile and he gave me a wink and, and said, who said soccer wouldn't make it in Calgary? <laughs> you know, yeah. it, was, it was it was great, you know, um, just the vibe before that game and the electricity. It, it was incredible, just as good as any Grey Cup game or anything else I've covered. Sure.
0: Um, I want to go back. OK, that one is out of place. So let's go back chronologically. You mentioned growing up in Calgary, you know, you were you're kind of here in the mid-80s. Were you one of those guys you're not one of those guys that drove to the airport when Berzan scored in Edmonton and they beat the Oilers in in 86? Were you were you in that group?
1: No, I wasn't quite in that group. I hadn't quite uh, wasn't quite one of those crazies quite yet. I think <laughs> one of the first times I ever ventured up to the airport was um Maybe it was, I think it was, it was 89, actually, after the after the, the Flames Cup win. I was working freelance for the Sun. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, they were in Montreal. And, you know, I, I think the flight came in, like, middle of the night. And they sent me up there. And it was the old Calgary Airport, not the, not the palatial one we have now. Everybody <laughs> remembers that. I was quite a bit different, you know. And I didn't actually managed to get any photos of the team coming in because they they kept uh, they kept it quite a ways from the fence and obviously being the rookie i didn't have the accreditation to get past the lines but the first time i ever went up to the airport to catch the team was probably 89 after the cup run
0: 88 though you you mentioned in this conversation that you started working at the herald in the summer of 88 but, That's right. but tell me what, were you involved at all? Did you,
1: as a fan or otherwise with the Olympics, do you remember, were you around it? Um, no, I wasn't around the Olympics. I was, of course I was, you know, a young kid, early twenties, just graduated from state. And, uh, probably the funniest story associated with the Olympics was, I can't remember what I was doing, but I, I happened to be in the office one day in the early, early late in the morning. And I Phone rang and I picked it up and it was our columnist, Larry Wood. I'm not sure whether you remember Woody. he Yeah, sure. Did. Absolutely. And he didn't get couldn't get his computer to work. And he had to I think it was the Ben Johnson story that he had to dictate to me over the phone. Um, you know, about yep. unfortunately Ben got busted for steroids and I had to literally have the phone in the, the crook of my neck and I'm literally writing writing the story on this computer screen as he calls in. So um, I didn't have any stories associated to the Olympics, but I'll never forget that working as a, you know, as a summer kid.
0: Well, that's huge though. Right. And that's, uh, I think we miss a little bit of that technology is a lot smoother, but uh, you know, that's one of the biggest, if not the biggest story of the eighties in Canadian sport. So you are connected to it, right? Not the winter Olympics, but the summer Olympics and it's still a pretty big story. Right. So that's pretty cool
1: right absolutely totally it was it was awesome to be there you know and you mentioned the 88 winter olympics i was a student at sate um i wasn't covering anything so um i actually worked for kodak in their big giant massive lab that they had set up here down at the roundup center and they brought in all sorts of machinery and stuff processing film and making prints so i got to see some of these pictures that these photographers were bringing in from all over the world. Wow. Sometimes even before they got to see them, you know? So, um, that was kind of a unique perspective as well.
0: Holy cow. That's fantastic. So you, that was at the roundup center.
1: It was, yeah. Kodak set up a giant lab and they brought in a Kodachrome machine and, you know, all sorts of film processing and printmaking for these guys around the world that could drop off their film or have it shipped back somehow. And, they would come in, you know, after the events and look at their film and have some prints made and then get them <laughs> the office, however they got them there. In those days, it was probably a drum processor or yeah. maybe a egg scanner, yeah.
0: That that had to blow your mind, right? Because I'm assuming in 1988, Kodak was, that was the cutting-edge technology of the day, right? So much further ahead than what you were seeing at Sate.
1: Absolutely. It was the first time, if I remember correctly, that Kodak had ever set up, a protochrome machine outside of Rochester, New York. Cause I think, I think that's where they were based. So, you know, I think they used to be called the big yellow God. So they brought all this machinery and it's their formula for making, for processing crotachrome is very secretive to this day, I believe. And, you know, for them to install this massive machine, you know, I remember you walk in the front door and it was always like, Oh, you know, lights coming out and flashes and, you know, that's what it felt like as a young kid, right? You know, you're seeing this giant Kodachrome machine that nobody's ever seen before.
0: So 20 people, 100 people, was it like, was it a factory? What, what was it like? Or were you just a hand, group of a handful
1: of people? No, it, they, they hired uh, some of our journalism students from SAIT, as well as uh, Alberta College of Art, because they have a very, very good photo program as well. To uh, do the machines. So if I remember correctly, we worked in sort of two shifts, you know, some guys would some people would come in in the morning and process the film that was left overnight. And then a shift would come in in the afternoon or midday and work on the stuff up till, you know, 10 or 11 at night oh i
0: thank you for telling this story i love it because 80 i mean 88 is such an important the winter olympics were such an important event in calgary and it's just amazing all the different stories i've heard it's funny i've heard from tv guys their stories of you know working for the different groups that were here and the and the ioc and uh that to me is part of the legacy of 88 is how everybody seemed to have a role there was something something for everybody and for you to be able to kind of be part of that and see all this new technology. It must've been somewhat inspirational.
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, I, maybe somewhere in the back of my head, I kind of went, geez, maybe I kind of want to do that for the rest of my life or for my career. feels like the rest of my life, but you know, yeah, you know, you get the best of the best, um, whether it's athletes or photographers or writers, they're covering the biggest event every four years definitely inspirational and kind
0: of cool jim what what kind of connection do you have to you know it's funny i i'll give a little shout out to the the guys behind sea of red who i i love because it's a little bit of calgary sports history but right in when you got into the business we would have seen things like the calgary 88s you know, the you know the old basketball team the the rads briefly and and well the cannons weren't a fad but you know they came what what do you remember of or what stories do you have of some of those secondary and and startup sports of the late 80s early 90s
1: i vaguely remember shooting like a few games like calgary 88 basketball games the one story i have is like i was shooting with a telephoto lens and i got a basketball in the front of my lens and it hit me up in the forehead and the metal piece and was embedded in my skull and I had blood running down my face on at the side of the court
0: and <laughs> it was oh.
1: it was quite traumatic but <laughs> yeah
0: sorry I didn't mean to bring that up
1: <laughs> <laughs> ah, it's, all, it's, all, it's a war wound we'll call it <laughs> uh, but yeah you know we shot basketball and I remember shooting the Rads. Um, not too long ago I brought the topic up to, with my son I, I think it was Keith Gretzky or one of the Gretzky sons either played or coached one of the that's right
0: yeah i remember that too there was there was an infusion of some lesser known names in that league right
1: absolutely you know and it's all it's all history now and of course the calgary cannons um you know not only do i remember photographing their games but you know back in the day what i call back in the day um i used to cover the games writing for canadian press um, so I would do their game their gamer stories, and you know, uh, running copy, and do their scoreline and everything. And uh, I would be up in the, the press box with Mark Stephen and George Johnson and Rita Mingo and all those guys. Yeah. And and then when I started taking pictures, I was down on the ground, you know, in the in the dugout shooting pictures. Um, I remember seeing uh, the famous pitcher Jim Abbott. Yep. Come to. He was playing for a a, a Chicago White Sox or the Cubs uh, farm team at the time. One arm, right? One arm, that's right. And I still have those slides tucked away. And, uh, you know, I remember shooting him playing and, uh, you know, and some of the guys, you know, uh, Edgar Martinez and uh, Mickey Brantley and some of the guys that that goes back a ways, eh? Yeah. Coming Coming up through the system. And, uh, you know, now I see their sons playing in the major leagues. And it's, it's like, uh, hey, I, I shot his dad when he was with the Calvary Cannons. and You know, it's, it certainly is different. That's for sure, you know.
0: That, that's the one team, I don't know, maybe we're all caught up in sport documentaries and stuff like that, but uh, with, you know, The Last Dance and all that. But we've had Darren Haynes on. We've had a couple of guests on that talk about it. There's something about baseball, Jim. And I don't know what it is. It's slow, it's methodical, but allows for characters, it allows for fun. The fans usually play a role in it. Weather usually plays a role in it. Uh, You know, I I have to imagine just being down at, at field level, you heard and saw some really wild and crazy things.
1: Oh, absolutely. You're, you know, as a photographer, of course, you're right at field level and you're situated right next to the dugout. So you're you're privy to some a little bit of colorful talk, um, and some of the practical jokes <laughs> that these guys in each other. You know, like you know the bubble gum on you know the back of somebody's helmet, or you know I I can't you know there's there's tons of stuff. Oh you know, yeah, doing, yeah. You know, and and you can only see that from field level and experience it. You know, or unless it's on a TV camera, but those days yeah, the cameras weren't down there that much.
0: Darren told us a story of um, a player. Apparently they were introducing the team and, and the players would just come to the top of the steps and tip a cap. And he remembers one player did it for the whole team. He just kept running back and forth down either side, change something, take a hat off or whatever. And the guys, the fans didn't know anything different. Nobody knew any different. But The team was just how bust in the gut. Like there, there's something magical about when that stuff
1: happens. Oh, absolutely! You know, I'm sitting here, splitting a gut. You know, <laughs> uh, just I can imagine how, how funny that would be. You know, and everybody politely clapping. You know, everybody's yeah. sitting down and got their beers and their hot dogs and they're just kind of getting ready for the game. And they nobody would know except the players and the media, right?
0: <laughs> I, that would be great. Oh. Just one, and because he's such, and I'm I'm pro, I, I'm a big fan, but I'm not sure about ex- exactly how to say his last name. But did you ever shoot, or were you around when they brought in Max Patkin, the Clown Prince of Baseball?
1: I did, and I've got some great photographs of him, Prince, downstairs in a box, and what a character! Yeah, like, right. Heck did he come up with that? And you know, uh, I don't know whether he made much money, but he's, you know. He certainly was successful and put a a smile on a lot of people's faces and, you know, made a lot of people's days, I'm sure.
0: I just remember he showed up in Bull Durham and I'm like, that's the guy. Wait a minute. And and then you because it was before the Internet, right? Before your your sons there sitting listening. He's probably trying to figure out what two old guys are talking about. What do you mean before the Internet? But all you knew is he came to your ballpark, so he must be local or something. I had no idea he was like North American phenomenon.
1: Yeah, phenomenon. Like, yeah. Well, you know, I think I think his tagline was the Clown Prince of Baseball. Yeah, yeah. That. And boy, that takes me back. Um, I feel really old right now, <laughs> no, it's, but it's good. But you know, like, yeah, what a performer. And like traveling North America, and I'm sure you know other parts of the world, maybe. Yeah. Yep. That being his gig, you know, being the Clown Prince of Baseball. That's that's unbelievable. You'd only ever see him on TV. That's right. You know, wild world of sports on saturday
0: you know or yeah yeah was. yeah exactly yeah 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 um speaking of wild world of sports uh yep. this is such a unique area uh, i want to get to the flames and the stamps here in a second but in terms of international competitions one-off competitions anything that outside of the olympics that kind of stand off or stand out in your mind i know that spruce meadows can make for an incredible background but you know the mountains aren't that far away we've had international competitions and in alpine events but any of those that, that jump out for you in, in what you do?
1: Um, I remember, you know, covering, of course, you know, Team Canada. Uh, the hockey has had a few. Uh, oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. See, You know, and I remember one year, I the company sent me, believe it or not, to, to photograph uh, Team Canada training camp in Whistler. Oh. You see, that was, I want to think it was 2002, maybe, yeah. something like that. Yeah. And, You know, uh, in the middle of summer, I get here. I am in Whistler covering hockey, and you know, it's Whistler in the summer has nothing to do with winter sports. It's all about mountain biking and hiking and stuff. And that was a great week. Um, Cross country. If if anybody can get out and watch biathlon or cross country skiing over in Canmore, like these people are an hour away, these are absolutely incredible athletes. You know, um, and they do just their their physical fitness and their mental acuity is just absolutely incredible. Overcoming some unbelievable obstacles, physical and mental and weather, you know, they're skiing for miles and miles and miles at minus 20. It's it's, It's amazing.
0: Yeah, we we're so blessed, right? We have so many cool, unique sporting opportunities around us and have had for a while now. Um, let's, let's talk about some of the more famous ones though. Um, you mentioned football before I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about some thoughts or stories about, you know, really that kind of quarterback factory that was here in the nineties in Calgary with Flutie, Garcia, Dickinson, Burris as a young guy. Um, what were, what, you know, and that's when Wally, it was really Wally's team at that point. What was it like? What, what was it? Was it fun to be around those teams?
1: Oh, absolutely. It was, it was, you know, just a riot, you know, thinking back in the days of, you know, you, you may remember Larry Rickman and, and
0: oh, Apple. Sure. yeah.
1: you know, it was, it, it was, it was a lot of show, you know, and even with looking back to Siguchi and stuff, it was, you know, it was big personalities and stuff and, you know, uh, days of Alan Pitts and Sapungius and, you know, Mark McLaughlin and, um, yeah, you can go on and on and on. You know, and it was it was incredible to shoot, you know. Um the first gray cup I ever shot was in Toronto, I think, in nineteen ninety one.
0: John you Candy? Know?
1: Um no, I think it was before before, was before okay, okay. Before, and I remember I, I was the rookie. I'd only been working for a couple of years, so I got flown out literally the morning of the game, landed in Toronto, rushed to the to Sky Dome and got my accreditation, plopped in the middle of Grey Cup, shoot Grey Cup all my film gets shipped back to the Toronto sun paper. I don't see a frame of it. And I literally fly back after the game <laughs> land back. And I don't see a picture. And I land back at the Calgary airport at three, four in the morning or whatever it was. And my picture's on the front page of the Calgary sun. I think it was Wee Smith holding up the cup.
0: That's insane. And
1: that, that, that sure gives you a rush when you're, you know, young, you know, oh, I, I bet. 20-year-old. Yeah.
0: Wow. That is insane. Yeah, it's, it was, it's quite unique, that's for sure. You were around, I mean, it wasn't the 90s, it was the 2000s, but you were around for Fiteri. You you weren't at the Fred Fateri press conference, were you, downtown? When he was going to sue the club or the owner?
1: I don't remember that one, sorry. Oh.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, it's just, there was, you know, it's funny, you start bringing up names and there, there was so much to be covered so much, you know, character and, and color around that organization always has been even is still to this day. Right.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, you know, having Doug Flutie play here, yeah, uh, you know, people knew him for the, you know, the miracle throw at Boston college. And here he is playing in the CFL, you know, and he went on to, you know, incredible greatness over the years playing in the NFL. You know, I, I think i I watched the documentary on him not too long ago. And I went, wow, he played for San Diego and he played for Chicago and he played for Buffalo. And, you know, and, and, you know, now he's broadcasting and covering games and doing color and stuff. And, you know, uh, I remember him, I got the picture of him crossing the goal line uh, with no shoe on. Oh, you have that. You shot that. that. Yeah. And it's, it's one of the few pictures I actually have framed in my house. And, um, and yeah, um, You know, that was one of those pictures, just like you think you might have it. You think you've got something. And then you go back to the office with that roll of film and you're like, no, no, no. Holy shit. I got that. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's fantastic. (laughs) Guys, I I got that picture, you know. (laughs) You know, yeah, that was unique. That was for sure. That's fun.
0: So, okay, how many pictures do you have of your own in your house? How many you mentioned that one? How many do you
1: have? Oh, I want to say about four, or f- maybe five or six. Okay, okay, um, not a lot. Um, I think I've got more pictures of my son and and stuff uh, that uh, stuff I've done of him, of us on holidays and fun stuff rather than as stuff. you should, as you should.
0: Yes,
1: yeah. Talk about my son a lot here, but um, he's a pretty important part of my life. But you know, I've literally got. I'm looking over my shoulder now, and I've got a picture that i did a viggy um and it's not from the competition it was him i remember it it was I, it was the day he injured his back at a training camp uh, and he's he's kind of he was waiting to get his blood tested and i managed. he was sitting sort of fairly close to me, and i shot it with a telephoto lens but just the whole mood in his face and the sweat is just dripping off his face and it's really close up and you can see every pore and every Little bead of sweat on his forehead, and then right next to it is a picture I did of uh, uh, country singer Terry Clark, Canadian mm-hmm. country singer Clark, you know. And I went on tour her, tour with her for a week and her crew. And this picture is looking straight down on her, and I was hanging from the rafters in a you know full body harness, shooting straight down of her over top of the crowd. You know that was in Regina. Well, yeah. well, okay, stop, 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 stop. What do you <laughs> right. mean, so? You-
0: <laughs> So you're in the, this is the arena, right? In in Regina.
1: Yep. And you are suspended above her? That's right. Yeah. I'm not sort of free, free falling or free pulling, but um, during her sound check, I'd scouted it out a little bit and looked at the catwalk up ahead. And I knew the setup of her stage and I knew what she would do for the, uh, you know, the closing set. So I I found the arena guy and I went, hey, uh, can I get up there? And of course, he gives him the old side look, yeah. What do you want to do there? So I kind of explained it to him. He's like, yeah, I got to check with this. And funny enough, uh, uh, Russ Parker, who used to own the Calgary Canyons, yeah, yeah, yeah. Done. I think it was Brent. It's Brent, yeah.
0: Owns the, uh, was running the, uh, was running the Pats.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I went to junior high school with him and his family. So I walk into the office in the Regina Pats office and I said, hey, Brent. You went to junior high school in Calgary at Branton Junior High. Yeah. Do you know so-and-so and so-and-so? Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, Jim Wells. Yeah. And, you know, he's like, what do you want to do? Okay, well, yeah, let's make it happen. So they literally got me a body harness and took me up there and, you know, showed me where to go and, you know, left the rope there. And I, you know, came rushed up the stairs before the last set and clipped myself in. And it's the portion, metal portion that's sort of suspended from the roof. Yeah the arena speakers go but there's a ladder there but there's nothing underneath you so you're you know i've got my legs spread supporting myself on this ladder on this suspended and these speakers are just pounding up the bass and everything and you know and uh terry's out on the edge of her catwalk and the fans are you know she's got her arms out um she's in her traditional cowboy hat and uh and it, it's, it's one of the few pictures that's actually, you know, it's in my living room here. That, she's is, got one. that is awesome. That yeah. is awesome. Great story. It's that, fun. No,
0: I, I love that one. That's fantastic. <laughs> did she know you, did she know you took the picture? Did she know she, you were above her or was that after the fact she found out?
1: No, it, she knew what I was, what I was up to. Oh, because okay. when I had the body harness on ah. and I, I came down after, uh, while they were doing rehearsal and, um, I've been with them for a couple days at that point. So we're kind of, you know, we're starting to get to know each other, goof around. She's like, uh, what are you doing with that? (laughs) So, you know, I kind of explained the idea and she's like, you better not fall on me. (laughs) 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 Don't you fall or drop a camera on my head while I'm singing. How, how acutely aware
0: are you of your circumstances and your surroundings at that point? You know, my guess is you're a little bit like any other athlete. When you're trying to focus on something, you mentioned that the, you know, the speakers boom, boom out the base, the crowd's obviously making noise and stuff like that. But w- what's your mindset like, Jim, are you focused in on that?
1: Yeah, I, I think you, I mean, that goes back quite a few years, but, yeah, you know, just generally in, in terms of when I'm working, your mind is, you know, you're looking through that one inch by, by three quarter inch, rectangle for three or four hours or an hour at a time uh you're not really aware of a lot of stuff going on around you of course you have to be aware you have to kind of keep your eyes and your ears open but you're you're dialed in yeah you're i can't compare it to being an athlete because i've never experienced it but you have to pay attention to what you're doing for sure
0: you saw the the young guns you, you well essentially you saw kind of the the the, the Stanley Cup team and then that transition to the young guns and then the seven years of nothing and then the the sea of red to, to what, you know, has become kind of more of a consistent playoff team in Calgary. But tell me about shooting the flames and, and being around the hockey club. Um, what, what stands out for you?
1: Well, you know, obviously one of my, the biggest memories of the flames is, uh, you know, covering the 2004 Stanley cup run.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: uh, unbelievable for the city and for, for the news business, uh, as a fan, as a, as a photographer, you know, I think I missed one, one home game, that whole playoff run. And I was the only photographer from our corporation to be sent to Tampa Bay for game seven. Mm-hmm. Um, that's incredible, uh, a memory. And that's one of the pictures I never did get was Iggy with the cup over his head that I had pre-planned in my head and that's what I was there for to get, but never did get. But, you know, I, over, over the years you've seen a lot of players come and go and some are more friendly than others. Um, some probably don't want us there. I'm assuming sometimes. Yep. Um, some, some of them don't want media there, um, from what I've heard, but you know, you. I remember probably the most, the friendliest guy. There's two guys that stand out in my head as being the most friendly. One was Alex Tangay. Yep. And the first day I think, you know, I think he arrived, he was arriving in Calgary and I'm standing around. I think we were waiting for him and he walks up and he doesn't avoid us. He walks up and he goes, introduces himself to every single media person there.
0: I remember that. Yeah.
1: Like, hi, I'm Alex, Yeah. you know? And that, that was just the way he is, you know? And, uh, Jerome of course was, uh, Unbelievable person, you know, and there's tons of individual great people, you know, Theo. Um, and I and I still run into Pepper and you know, Barazan and some of those guys just through you know what they're doing for charity and stuff. You know, Mika Kiprasov, he was sure quirky, but he, <laughs> you know, I mean, but yeah, he took I do, of, I do, you know, for all the kids that would come and see him, and you know, he would give away pieces of equipment sticks. I'm sure it drove the trainers nuts, but you know, um, (laughs) it just, it's, it's really interesting to have that kind of behind the scenes look almost on a daily basis to what people never, ever see. Uh, Even if it's just joking around, you know, with the media guys and sharing fun stories, even with the players before and after, you know, they're on the ice.
0: Yeah. Well, just back to, back to 2004 I mean it's important for me because it was my first season here but um, it's important for so many and 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 we saw that when Jerome retired and they had the on ice ceremony and anybody that was involved with 2004 they just shut the whole thing down because they were doing a standing ovation for 10 minutes it was incredible but from your vantage point not necessarily chronicling the on ice but just looking at the off ice the the red mile and the the crowds and everything like that what what happened why? Why did that? Why does that stay with us like it does, Jim?
1: I think it's you know it's kind of like the nineteen eighty eight Olympics. Hmm. It's an iconic moment in, obviously, in the history of Calgary, and sometimes these moments don't come along very often. You know, and you got to hang on, hang on to that, and remember the good feelings. And you know, I'm sure there's lots of people kind of remember. I was on the Red Mile when uh, that Martin Jelena's goal should have gone across the goal line or, yep. you know, it, it, it's just memories people creating and, and holding on. And, you know, um, it's, it's, it's part of Calgary history. You know, we're one of the largest cities in Calgary, but we don't, or in Canada, but we don't, we've got a lot of history, but not necessarily a lot of sports history. Yeah. Yeah. There were some iconic Stampeders teams, you know, looking back in the days of Normie Kwong and all that, um, but yeah, we've had one Stanley Cup run in the history of the Flames. Did you? So, do you have a shot of, of Marty's goal? No, that was actually done by uh, um, a, a coworker of mine. Okay, um, Al Charay, who's my boss. Yep. And we actually, Al and I went to high school together and played football together, and so <laughs> we we've we've come up and we've known each other for you know since high school. And uh, he he got that picture of uh, Marty's goal, yeah, which is obviously part of history now.
0: what what's your favorite vantage point at the dome? Where do you like to shoot from?
1: i I generally um, if anybody, obviously there's people here that know the dome fairly well, um, I will generally, if I have my choice, shoot from um, on the president's club side
0: Mm -hmm.
1: in section 121. Um, It gives us a good view of the flames goal during the first and the third period, if they score and obviously gives us a great view of, you know, the other team's goal, but you can also see the bench so you can get reaction from the bench. You can see the coaches, you can see, you know, if they're, if they're changing goalies, you can see the interaction between the players. Um, that's that's sort of my spot some guys have other other places they enjoy better do do you
0: like shooting between benches
1: i haven't done a lot of it okay just because you know obviously tv cameras and the team photographer um generally have first shot at that um i'm sure it can be pretty dangerous (laughs) you know you, you gotta you gotta wear a helmet you know i think it's a league rule that you you know if you're shooting from there you have to have a league helmet yeah um obviously i've seen accidents happen a puck flies the wrong way or a stick gets swung and somebody's going near the bench and you can easily get hurt pretty bad
0: last one for, two more for you one sure. and one you know it's just, you know already know it's coming because you listen to the podcast but I thought
1: two, we we're going to talk about it earlier but okay
0: all right no no
1: <laughs>
0: what i want to know what advice cuz you get asked all the time What advice do you give to people about taking a simple picture? What advice can you give to somebody? They're listening to this podcast today. They could take it away. What mistake or what thing do professionals know that we with a phone don't?
1: I would say shoot multiple photos. Shoot one from eye level where you're standing. And if you can get high, stand on a chair or a bench or something, of course, do it safely do that and shoot one from ground level what we call um you know worm's eye view to try to try a different angle um digital's cheap it you just delete it if it if it didn't work you know in the days of film you would obviously shoot that many but digital's cheap and i have this little cartoon on my computer you know oh, i've shot five thousand pictures of my lunch you know and oh I've got my roll of film and it's got my grad from 1984 on it and my first kid's birthday. And, you know, it's processed. You know, just sort of a little reminder of uh, the days. You know, it's just uh, different stuff. All the information is out there. Yeah, just read and look and watch videos.
0: Fantastic. All right, sir. My final question for you I ask it to all of our guests. No parameters. Jimmy Wells, give me your hidden Calgary gem.
1: I don't know necessarily it's a gem, but I I want, I want to say spruce meadows. Okay. Um, And I can tell you why. And I thought about this because obviously I listened to your podcast and I was expecting, (laughs) um, it's, it's, it's a, it's just an oasis, you know, um, obviously Calgary's growing around it, but you go there and it's, it's just like this, like the world stops and there's the smell of green grass and there's birds and, You know, it's just like, it's like time stops for a little bit and you're there. And the Calgary Zoo's a little bit similar because, yeah, you're right in the middle of the city. Memorial Drive's there. Deerfoot Trail's there. Same with Spruce Meadows. Stony Trail construction is out there front door. Um, It's just, if you can spend an hour or two at one of the, the zoo or Spruce Meadows, it's time well spent for sure.
0: Jimmy, thank you so much for reaching out, pal. Because um, i have been—I've so thoroughly enjoyed this. This is this is what the podcast was supposed to be when it started, and it has been really. But talking to people in 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 and around sport in Calgary, all different perspectives, and yours is is as good as anybody's. And I, as you know, I'm a big admirer of your work. Um, you know, I, I probably have seen you more than than any other media person in Calgary. To be perfectly honest, you're everywhere. You're all over, and I got a a, a ton of time for you sir so thank you so much for agreeing to spend some time with us today and, and thanks for thanks for sharing your story
1: you're welcome rob thanks for having me on and keep up the great work thank you
0: jimmy is uh, a really good friend and a really i enjoyed i so thoroughly enjoyed that uh that conversation um i hope you you got a little uh, tip there from a professional photographer um but just seeing the business change through his eyes was awesome and uh he's a huge 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 football guy, soccer. Huge football guy, but an appreciation for all sports. And uh, it was a lot of fun, too, because his son was listening uh, as dad was doing the podcast, and uh, he thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was neat for him to kind of hear his dad talk a little bit about his history in the business. So that, that, that was very cool for me. Uh, thanks to uh, Jim. Thanks to all of our guests recently. Uh, Tommy Wielden Jr. uh stopped by Duff Gibson. Uh, Grace Defoe was here uh, not that long ago. Uh, Katrina LeMay Doan and Cassie Campbell Pascal. So we, we've had a great cross-section of storytellers and sports figures and leaders um so make sure you check out the archives and and pick up a podcast and and enjoy it share it that's the big thing Uh, make sure you're sharing them with your friends thanks to uh, jim wells thanks to you for sticking around and being part of this today this has been the original six feet conversation podcast at sportcalgary.ca